So have you got a cup of tea? I have. I've got some Rabina, actually. Oh, lovely. I've got a vanilla flavour protein shake, because, you know. Are you doing all the bodybuilding, cardio, what's it stuff? Oh, yes. Protein shakes are interesting for the digestive system. Well, this is the first day I've had it, so I'm, I'm, is there something I should be expecting later on? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say do tell, but that's no, probably not a good no, idea. A lady never tells these kinds of things. <laughs> well, I hope it's not what happened when I overdosed on strepsils. <laughs> no, but I know what happens if you overdose on strepsils. It's the same thing if you overdose on chewing gum. Really? Yeah. How can you, you overdose on chewing gum? If you chew like a couple of packets of chewing gum in a day, the um, the strychnine in it and stuff like that it generally has an ef- an effect. I never it, knew that. Yeah, they have warnings on them. It's the same thing with strepsils as well. It's something. There's some sort of thing that they put in them that can have a uh, should we say a laxative effect. Well, I <laughs> I just saw the warning on the strepsils packet which said you know don't have more than eight a day or something and um ha i laugh in the face of limits exactly in fact you were there this was the day we were together at milton Keynes geek night when <laughs> i was drinking guinness and eating and strepsils, strepsils which was not the best idea that Dinner i've ever had oh no it really was um yeah i don't want to think about who was in the jury's in room next <laughs> <laughs> you know that jury's in that we were both in yes because you were on the other side of the hotel to me i ended up over the party room oh yeah you had to get another room i had to get another hotel oh christ so yeah they had um some sort of special awards night was going on uh so i got back to the room after we'd been at geek night and so by the time we got back it was about midnight or so and the, the, there was a band playing there was definitely a disco going on and i was like well all right so it's probably going to wrap up about half 12 right so I phoned reception and they're like, oh, we're going to ask the band to leave at two. <laughs> I was like, right. Well, I can't sleep and I have to be up at seven for a train. How are you going to solve this problem for me? Um, so they ended up moving me to the Holiday Inn, sort of 500 metres down the road. And I'm in my pyjamas with two laptops and an iPad and all the rest of the stuff. And they're like, can you walk or should we get you a taxi? <laughs> think you're going to get me a taxi because I'm not walking 500 metres in the dark with all of this in my pyjamas. Um, and then the taxi took another hour to arrive. Oh, like, God. This is amazing. <laughs> Hooray. That's horrendous. So by comparison, what you did at the jury's in was just payback, I think. I was in a strange um, room at a hotel in Brighton last week. All right, yeah. Because it sort of the window looked out, if you could call it looking out, on like an internal space. It would have been like an internal courtyard or something, except it was too small. The the hotel sort of had a hole in the middle. Yes. And not only did my window not open, but it was frosted. Now, I'm not a claustrophobic kind of guy, (laughs) but I'm thinking I've got to be in this room for two days. Yeah. And you can't see out. I know, it was very strange. That's very weird. Well, the thing with Brighton, along with lots of old seaside towns, is lots of the hotels are kind of buildings that have been mashed together and then things added on top. And it's like, what can we do to get past the building code that's required for us to open? Uh, Which leads to some strange internal decisions, I think. Yeah, no, it's very odd. Very odd. 
anyway. Mm. We're going to talk about brioche buns if I dwell on Brighton any longer. Buns. Oh, yes, your crusade against Not hamburgers and brioche buns. going to do that. Anyway, all I can say is about bleeding time, really, Annette Baker. Hi. About bleeding time, because... I know, we've been trying for a while. I'm not counting the live episode that we did in Cardiff, because that's not... Well, I am counting it, because otherwise we're not going to make 100 by the end of the year. But it wasn't proper. Okay. Um, But we've never made it work, so I'm very glad that you're here. I'm also very glad to be here. How was your weekend? Did I hear Disney? You did hear Disney, yes. So it was my husband's birthday on Sunday. So uh, uh, he was out... Uh, visiting his parents. His parents came to to London on Saturday and I I snuck him off and sent him off with a little box telling him he could only open it at one o'clock. And inside was a passport and a boarding pass and a ticket for Disney for Sunday. And so we took a flight with our two boys out on Sunday night, uh, so Saturday night, and then we spent all day at the park yesterday and then we took the earliest flight imaginable (laughs) out of Paris this morning to get back, which was fine but I didn't really um bank on how much not getting enough sleep would affect the children not in terms of them being grumpy because I was kind of ready for that but it actually made my smallest one feel sick (laughs) oh no too much rushing around yeah so he he doesn't get air sick or anything so he was he was fine in the plane and it was a smooth ride but we get into taxi into Heathrow we were literally taxiing to the runway for about from the runway for about 20 minutes they must have sent us halfway around the airport and he gets travel sick and of course bumping up and down in an airplane that's going slowly and oh. you can't see anything so yeah so he just threw up everywhere right as we're getting to the gate i was like well it could be worse but you know how could it be worse well he could have thrown up like on the like halfway there and he would have had to like sit in a really yucky seat oh that is true time. that is so, true and it was it, you know it wasn't too bad for everyone else because they knew they were getting off <laughs> what what amazed me was how did you manage to keep it a big birthday surprise when you've been tweeting about a big birthday surprise <laughs> for about the last week i know well he knew something was up because i told him we were doing something oh right because uh, originally he was going to go out for for dinner with his parents and i was like oh maybe lunch <laughs> maybe lunch would be good <laughs> okay um and uh also uh, because um, he has uh, quite bad adult eczema, he has to take a lot of creams and tablets with him when he goes places. Um, so I couldn't just say, you know, we're getting on a plane with no notice because he would have definitely needed some stuff. So I had to ask him the, the day before. Like, he knew we were going away somewhere, but he had a, no idea it was Disney. The, the, the biggest problem I had is that to get the kids to comply, I had to tell them where we were going <laughs> and then had to get them to keep it a secret from Ooh, Daddy. I, I bet they would bursting <laughs> they really were by the time we got to the airport to meet him they were dancing up and down on the spot <laughs> just <laughs> basically walked towards them they're like we're going to disney oh that is really cute. sweet though it was i've never been to a disney of any sort either france or america mm. not once no no i don't know whether i'm a disney sort of guy i tell you what i'd like to do i'd like to go to park asterix yeah, I'd like to do Park Asterix. I'm hoping when the boys are a bit bigger and they've read a bit more Asterix, they'd be into that. Are you we reading think... the Asterix? Uh, so we've read a little bit with the eldest one, who's uh, so eight. Um, and um, he he quite likes it. It's quite dense text for him to kind of get through. 
um, compared to other comic books that he reads. But um, he quite likes it in small doses. So we might read a couple of pages a night and then go on to read a chapter book or something. So, but yeah, he's starting to get into it. He's starting to understand who the characters are and stuff and get, and get the idea. And he likes he quite likes the cartoon. Have you watched the actual cartoon cartoon with them? Yeah, but it's on Netflix. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, so we've we've watched bits and pieces, but uh, my my children, as a rule, don't watch anything sequentially. So I've definitely seen episodes, but probably <laughs> not in the right order. They're not as good as no. the books themselves, though. And there was a live action, or maybe there's even been a few live action ones. Um, I think Gerard Depardieu played Obelix. Well, who else would? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. With a big there's nose, there's no other option, surely. Um, but I wasn't fond of that. And I remember we, I mean, I've been into Asterix since I was like seven. Mm-hmm. I've still got, I've been talking about this before, but I've still got all of the, uh, the f- sort of first edition hardbacks. Yeah. They're probably worth quite a lot of money. Well, I'm never going to get rid of them. In fact, <laughs> when Alex... going to trade them for monkeys? For apes? No, God, no. No, I've got to get my priorities right. No, when I had them from when I was, yeah, about sort of seven or so. I think Asterix mm-hmm. and the Golden Sickle was my first one. All right, yeah. Which is brilliant. And when Alex was a kid, we used to read them as bedtime stories. Mm-hmm. And you'd probably do, I don't know, you wouldn't read a whole one. No, they're, they're long. Um, but we might want, we might make one last a week. And you kind of do all the voices. Because <laughs> that's a dad's job, isn't it? Well, it's, yeah, it's a, Paul and I tend to split reading the bedtime stories. Um, and, and, um, there's a particular one that we read, uh, which is a picture book called Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. And we both have very particular voices for the pigeon. And our children have definite preferences <laughs> about it. They request whoever's going to read it based on what pigeon voice we're going to do. <laughs> I love that whole kind of, I loved that whole kind of bed, bedtime story thing. Yeah. Um, and when we ran out of books, we used to just make stories up. And I used to have this thing where I'd ask Alex to think of three things, mm-hmm. three kind of random things. And then I would have to make up a 10 minute story about it. Yeah. He used to call them head stories. Oh, no. Oh, that's sweet. Um, and some of them were bloody difficult because <laughs> yeah. they, they like to trick you after a while. They get well, the yes, because he was smart enough. He's probably listening. He was smart enough to realize that if he did say albatross and an aubergine and lord knows what else that it would make life a lot more difficult and the story would go in a lot longer and you didn't have to go to bed quite so much. <laughs> although he was always very good at that kind of thing he was always kind of quite self-contained so even if it got to a certain point and he wasn't tired or something he would just sit and read on, read on his own yeah that's nice Actually, my youngest one is more like that. My oldest one has not really learnt the art of being on his own. It's yeah, it can be quite draining. But you know, he's you know, his his personality is really sparky and full on. He just loves company and stuff. So going to bed for him is really hard. Um, and recently, he's been able to start reading for himself. So I'll I'll leave a book off halfway through a chapter at some sort of cliffhanger, and then I go back the next night to read, and it's been moved along a few pages. Um, I saw a great thing from an author once saying uh, one of the best gifts you can give your children is a, a pocket torch. And then you leave you know, the book at a point that they really want to read on and you say, no, no more going to bed. And you leave the pocket torch by the side of the bed because then they pick up the torch and start reading it all for themselves. And yeah. that's how to get them to read actively by picking up their interests. 
Alex was a massive reader. I mean, he would read all of the Dark Materials books mm-hmm. and all of Harry Potter and um, oh, lots of stuff. I mean, as he got older, he would just read and read and read, which I thought was a brilliant thing. Yeah, it, I mean, it really depends on the kid as well, but it's such a nice escape. I mean, I'm a big reader still. I mean, I, you know, I did literature at university, so um, actually... If you like books, I would not suggest doing this to your university because it just kills any love you have for books whatsoever for a while. <laughs> I came out of university and didn't read anything that looked like a book for about three years, I think. But um, I just like the way you can escape to somewhere different. I was a bit worried, really, about Alex, because when I was growing up, when I went to my room, it was an escape. You know, I, I wanted mm-hmm. to sort of shut myself away. And he spent quite a lot of time in his room reading and drawing and doing those kind of things. But he didn't do it for the same reasons that I did. You know, he did it because he wanted to get on with stuff. Um, And I thought that that was, you know, that was good. I just wanted to keep an eye on that because I didn't want him kind of falling into some unsociable trap like I did. (laughs) But I I think there is a thing, though, that we, you know, the the further I get into parenting my two boys, the the more I realise you project your own parenting that you had and your own expectations onto the child and often what they're doing has nothing to do with what you think it is um and and I know I know a family who kind of went through the same thing their their eldest child um suddenly sort of they thought he was turning all reclusive and he would go away in his room and draw for hours and read and and so on and they were like really worried about him but I think on the whole it just kind of came down to he had two twin sisters that were three years younger than him and he just wanted a break (laughs) Yes, a bit of quiet space. Yeah. Um, But, you know, the the parents were very concerned that he was turning into this reclusive, unsociable child. And he was like, no, I just think he's got an awful lot of noise going on around him and he just likes some peace. And But because both of the the parents were very outgoing, gregarious sorts, they didn't really have that kind of almost introverted, I I need to go and have some space time. And um, I don't even think you need to be a particularly introverted person to actually want that from time to time either. So how old were you when you had the first one? I was uh, 25. Yeah, so you were a year older than we were. Mm-hmm. And I actually quite like the fact that we had Alex a lot earlier. Because yeah, you know, now... benefits to it. Now he's... he's grown up. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, man's doing a PhD. So, <laughs> you know, what do you do with that? And, yeah... You know, quite a lot of our friends who are not an awful lot younger than me, for example, you know, they're kind of yeah. what, you know, early to mid forties. They, they're having kids now or, you know, yeah. they've got young kids that are kind of four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few people like that. And I just think, wow, you're going to be, you're going to be 60 by the time that they get to Alex's age. If you're in the opportunity to have children earlier, I, there are advantages to do it. But I think they're all, honestly being rapidly outpaced by the cost of living. Um, the advantages of having children younger are about you know, being able to do things with them, have the energy for them and then have the time to do stuff yourself. But if you're having I mean, we had children, like you say, you know, relatively early compared to our friends and so on. Um, and I, there were some real pluses to it. The downside was cost of living just kept going up and up and up. And we were continuously, you know, for a good few years, just scraping enough to go by because I couldn't work full time while I had them. Um, Or if I did, I had to pay for very expensive childcare. And, you know, and it just starts to outpace what you can do with them. But equally, I can, having had a child at 25, 
I find it hard to imagine being pregnant now at you know sort of nearly 35 I know people do it just fine but I found pregnancy exhausting at 25 and having a toddler exhausting them and I you know I can't imagine doing it at 45 although I know people do and you know do just fine with it but it just sounds exhausting to me maybe because I've been through it once (laughs) no exactly and I think that you know now it's a case of you know I'm able to travel a lot more and you know I don't need to worry necessarily about Alex too much because he's kind of you know off doing his thing I mean every so often I get a bit broody because mine is still that much younger you know I could feasibly have another baby you know um and and that would be fine and every I know lots of my friends are now having babies because they you know they've kind of hit their 30s and they're they're going ahead and having kids and I get a bit broody and then I just think I don't have to do nappies anymore (laughs) I don't have a stroller I don't have a you know that none of that is in my house all the singing plastic crap has largely been replaced with other singing plastic crap but you know nothing quite so twee i have plastic crap in my house but it's ape related plastic crap crap. oh i do love a bit of plastic crap (laughs) so there is loads that we could talk about this week not least what happened over geek mental health week yes but amazing i want to come back to that another time because we've talked a fair bit about that recently yeah i thought we'd talk about today it's just something completely different and some people are probably thinking will it be business not for me. You fools. <laughs> no, but I want to talk about parenting. And in particular, I'd like to talk about education, children's education, yep. and more specifically about homeschooling, which I know is something that you're now doing. Yes, yes it is. But before we get to that, I need to thank our first sponsor. It's okay. It's a cool one, though. Because it's, it's our, yes, it, no, it's our friends who make the fabulous Perch Runway. Perch Runway is a new version of Perch, which we love so much, that they say has been reimagined for larger and more complex sites. So we all love Perch, but sometimes there are times when we might feel that maybe another CMS might be suited to a larger or more complex site. Well, now you don't need to look elsewhere because you can just use Perch Runway. And it's perfect for the projects that you'd think maybe would be too big for Perch or maybe as an upgrade path when a successful Perch site grows up. And speaking of upgrades, everything that you've learned about developing with Perch, like your knowledge of templates and even custom apps that you've developed, they'll work with both Perch and the new Perch Runway. So here are some of the things that Perch Runway is brilliant at. You can store your images and your files in the cloud Because Perch Runway supports Amazon S3 and Rackspace Cloud Files OpenStack. I have no idea what this means, by the way. Oh, it's cool. It's cool stuff, though. Keep going. You can even move resource buckets onto cloud storage and also serve those assets via a CDN like CloudFront. That sounds clever, but I have no clue what it means. Trust me, if you use Perch, you're currently bouncing up and down in your seat. It's good. up to Dropbox or your cloud storage. Perch Runway has integral scheduled automatic backups that supports not only backing up to a selected cloud bucket, but also to Dropbox. Relax knowing that your latest database and assets are all accessible from your Dropbox account. Actually, I'm going to use the hell out of that. Yeah. That's worth paying for regular perch on its own collections of non-page content 
products, job listings, real estate listings, and so on. Content that might be used around the site in different ways. There's so much more. I was just amazed when they announced the price. It's just £189 plus VAT per site. And that's it. It's not like a, you know, an annual fee. That's it. It's a one-off. And I'd have paid a lot more than that. That's ridiculously good value. 189 is a bargain. You would be a moron not to just buy a license to see what Perch Runway is all about. Yes. I'll give you five minutes. Five minutes. Otherwise, you're a donut. Go to unfinished.bz slash grab a perch and support a fabulous, actually, fabulous software company, British software company that's making a brilliant product. Good. Now, before we actually get onto our topic for the day, mm-hmm. as this is a very obviously a topical news show. Yep. Although I've been told that it's not as good as something on the BBC. Okay. Have you heard or have you bought the new Do They Know It's Christmas single? Uh, no, I have not. It's because you were busy this morning. You didn't, you didn't leap no. onto iTunes and, and, and buy Bob's latest offering. Also, um, I am not a huge fan of Do They Know It's Christmas. <laughs> I, I wasn't a big fan of its original incarnation. I'm sure it's on its, what, 8th, 9th, 21st version. I really appreciate the concept and the idea of people coming together to raise money and so on. I, I get that. And each new generation that hears it for the first time with the, the musicians that they like, I completely get it. However, I would probably just put some money in a shelter box somewhere when I next see one. And that'll be my contribution. You're not old enough to remember the first one in 1984, are you? Just, because I was born in 1980. Oh, okay. So I probably don't remember it the year that it came out, but I mean, the, the next couple of years subsequently you got paid all the time anyway. So I definitely remember it from being a kid. I think there's actually been three or four. This might even be the fourth one, mm-hmm. the fourth time they've done it. But I have to confess that I really have no clue who most of the people are because I'm old. It's not for us. No, I know. I mean, it's it can, for the kids. I mean, what did they trot Bono out again for, honestly? Well, they need corporate sponsorship, I guess. And there's no escaping Ellie Goulding. I love Ellie Goulding. <laughs> did you see my Twitter encounter with her? No. Oh, it's fabulous. I was in, I was actually in McDonald's in Oslo and they were playing an Ellie Goulding track. Right. And I complained. No, I didn't complain. I said quite nicely on Twitter, there's no escaping at Ellie Gould. No, in fact, I didn't even use the at. I said, there's no escaping Ellie Goulding. Uh, And about five minutes later, Ellie Goulding replied with just like a sticky outy tongue emoticon, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> so I have no cute. clue. I have no clue how most of these people are. Who is this? I have no clue. There's an interactive guide on the BBC. Is there? Apparently, this is Paloma Faith, but I've never heard of her. Oh, I know who Paloma Faith is. You might like some of her stuff. I don't know. Mm, not exactly sure. One Direction, never do it for me. Yeah, I'm not a One Direction person. Jesse Ware, not a clue. Mm-hmm. Harry mm-hmm. Styles. Oh, no, he's in One Direction, he's apparently. He's in One Direction. You, see, you knew that without me even saying so. He's the only one that I know. He's the one with the hair that was bonking Taylor Swift. This is a family show. Was taking Taylor Swift out for coffee dates. She's going to write a song easy. about him in her usual <laughs> style, I imagine. A breakup yeah, song. never, ever, ever getting a haircut. 
Is that what the song that she wrote? Uh, that, isn't that one of hers? Never ever ever getting back together. I only know I only really know her "Shake It Out" song. Did you ever sing like Band Aid? Did you ever sing "Do the Do the Notes Christmas"? No. See, I did once at a benefit gig in 1985. Well, sure. When I was in I mean, band, that was of its time, right? That was you know, that was fresh material. We could sing it again as an outro, perhaps. People would like that. Perhaps. Maybe or not. we could not. <laughs> right. Yes, on to the topic. All right, yes. Because I've actually been fascinated by this whole idea of homeschooling. Because I've got to say, my own experience of school, it wasn't particularly happy. I mean, it, mm-hmm. was, it wasn't terrible. No. You know, I didn't come home every day crying my eyes out. Um, yeah, most most people are on a continuum. You find some people who just absolutely adored school, everything about it, and never had a bad experience. And you find people that really hated it. And most people sit somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I wasn't thoroughly miserable. Um, and I didn't do too badly, you know. I'm mm-hmm. sure I could have done better. But, you know, it wasn't the best experience. It wasn't like art school. That was a laugh. <laughs> um, and we always do say that Alex, bless him, he has achieved what he did despite school rather than because of it mm-hmm. and he doesn't mind me talking about it but you know he gets to he, he does his you know his gcses and his, his a levels and he gets onto a master's degree um in geology and it's at that point that they diagnose him as being quite seriously dyslexic yeah and they haven't spotted this throughout All that time lord knows how many years at regular school and i think that it was because he just worked a lot longer and possibly a lot harder just to kind of keep up which was odd makes for a valuable work ethic well no he has got an incredible work ethic but it's disappointing that the school you know well first of all you know they weren't terribly supportive you know overall um particularly in some of his choices you know he, he made some decisions kind of the point where schools make you take their options because, you know, he thought that he would want to go down one particular direction. And obviously, you know, that's quite early. It's like third year or something. And then by the time that he gets to, you know, wanting to think about take, going on to university, he's got a different set of priorities. Yeah. And unfortunately, the subject combinations that he'd chosen like two years previous, they wouldn't allow him to move or switch or combine things in the way that he needed to. Yeah. And there was just no way around it, apart from the fact that we ended up paying for some private tutors to, you know, supplement things. Uh-huh. But, you know, it just wasn't, the whole school institution wasn't terribly good for him. Yeah. Is, was that your experience? I mean, what made you decide to homeschool your two things? So it was a few things. So I'll talk a little bit about my schooling experience, first of all, because I think that's quite valuable. Because, again, a lot of the decisions you make like I was saying earlier, it kind of echoes back on your own experience and how you were parented and the decisions that were made. So I loved primary school. Uh, I was a really bright kid. Um, I didn't really have to work all that hard at anything to to do well, but I enjoyed um, stuff. I especially enjoyed creative writing and drama and that kind of stuff. Um, and But I realised from very early on... Um, through choices made by both me when I was little, my parents and the schools I was at. I was not exactly pigeonholed, but I was definitely, definitely pushed towards the creative arts, writing, um, drama, music, that kind of thing. And science and maths were off limit to me 
to a certain extent because I wasn't as good at those naturally as I was the other things. And it was easier to push me towards the stuff that I was naturally good at rather than trying to chip me along in the stuff I was less good at. By the time I got to secondary school, that had made quite a significant impact on um, the choices that I was making and, and what I thought I was interested in. Um, and actually, I got to the end of GCSEs, um, which is uh, kind of like the end of uh, junior high, if you're in the States, um, the set of exams that we take at 16. And uh, I decided that I wanted a broader education than I was getting in standard secondary school. So I, because I was quite bright, I applied for a scholarship for a local um, private school uh, who took me in on an arts and drama scholarship. Um, it was uh, at that time a boys boarding school that was going co-ed. So they were particularly looking for girls that they could use to broaden the range of the stuff so that, that really helped and helped my parents um, pay the fees because we wouldn't have been able to afford it otherwise. Um, and that kind of opened up a whole other area of education to me, which is much smaller class sizes, um, much more focus on extracurricular activities. And those things were given uh, almost as much priority as the academic stuff in the school life. Uh, and it was a boarding school. So I lived in for two years and, and sort of learned a lot from that experience as well. And that then shaped what I wanted to go and do at university. And I went on to go and do history and literature at university. Um, and at university, the wheels completely fell off for me. I was in a really good university and I should have been able to keep up just peachy. Um, but that was the first time I had really serious depression. And I just couldn't keep pace with things that were going on because I realised at that point that I had learned an awful lot of stuff to pass exams, but I hadn't really learned how to take an interest in the subjects I was meant to be good at. I hadn't been given a lot of extension or extension or outside reading or been pointed towards things that might have expanded my interests. Um, and so I was left with quite a narrow scope of things that I was good at. Uh, and they coincided very closely with the things that I was told I was good at when I was seven years old. Um, and so, I actually went through a bit of a kind of, they, they call it a quarter life crisis, but I hit 25. I've been working as a radio producer, uh, of which kids, there's terrible hours and no money. Don't do it. Um, fun as it is. And, um, and I realized there wasn't really anything else I was good at apart from writing and I couldn't work out how to get paid writing. It took me quite some time to get to a point where I was then a content strategist and things picked up from there. But that didn't, there wasn't that kind of work available then. The stuff that I was naturally good at, digital writing just really wasn't around at the time. Um, and I remember thinking then, if if, if I have kids, um, I'm, you know, I don't want them to ever be pigeonholed in by what they should be doing, because that's what happened to me. This is one of the things that baffles me, actually, about the education system in general, is mm -hmm. that people have to make decisions, either kids or parents, have to make decisions very, very early on about potentially what somebody's going to do or could do for the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, in terms of this, you know, this, the skills that they're going to have or the qualifications that they're going to get. Alex certainly found that. I mean, he was very creative and did drama, for example, um, and was incredibly good at it. And he was very, very good at, at you know, at English and, you know, and those sort of, what would you call them, humanities? Yeah. Possibly. But decided fairly late on that, you know, he wanted to be a scientist. 
it's very hard to make that switch at that point. I actually went back to school um, to do, um, I started an entry to medicine course because um, I thought I might be interested in being a doctor of a vet or something at that point when I was about 21 or 22. Um, and I decided about about a term in that actually this, I was still fumbling around trying to think I find what I wanted to do and throwing, because by that point you're paying full tuition you know, when you go back to school. And I, I figured out that throwing money at the problem in the hope that it would bring me to a decision probably wouldn't help me. So I stopped because I knew I could go back at another point and then sort of things picked up from in a different direction. But I think I felt this intense frustration that I'd been told very early on that maths and science weren't for me. Um, even though, you know, I was a, a pretty technically adept kid, you know, I was programming from very young, in, you know, um, because my mum was a computer programmer. So um, she she got me my first computer when I was five. It's like a Texas Instruments thing. And um, I taught myself to play chess on it. And then I taught myself basic. Um, but I remember being told at age 11 that girls don't use computers. So presumably that's a very strong factor in, mm. you, you know, you don't want that for your own children. Both our, our children, because we, we homeschool them, or we tend to call it in the UK home ed, home educate in in the us it's called homeschooling here if you if you go searching for it and you want to find uk resources it'd be home ed or home education both of them so toby went to school com- conventionally at age um four he was three and a half weeks um past his fourth birthday when he first went off to school in his uniform <laughs> and uh he actually went to my old primary school that i'd enjoyed very much we were living uh back close to where my parents were at the time so I, I signed him up for our local primary school he did not settle well at all he was really struggling with stuff he was really um and he's a kid who's he's pretty gregarious he can make friends anywhere he'd see, the problem wasn't that he was shy and and whatever it was it was almost that he was too exuberant um and they were struggling to contain him in a classroom and keep him in his seat and keep him on task and I was thinking to myself well, yeah, because you've got 34-year-olds in a class with one teacher and one teaching assistant. You're really going to struggle with that. And after a few weeks of that, we got called in twice because he was, air quotes, misbehaving. Um, uh, and what it actually was, was that he was too afraid to ask the, the teacher to whether he could go to the toilet. She, he thought she was going to say no. Uh, so he soiled himself twice. And then the other kids didn't want to be with him. So he started throwing things at them. I was like, well, this is really easy to actually you know, take apart and work out what's gone gone on here. I didn't feel that the teacher was responsible in any way, but I, I didn't think that the problem was handled particularly well. Uh, and I got called in for what I thought was going to be sort of a casual chat about, you know, how to help Toby adapt better. And it turned out they had a member of, sort of senior management there taking notes and this was an official warning. Um, so I just the next day took him out of school straight away just said he's not coming back you know I'm not happy about this at all um and then we sent him to a local prep school uh which was adorable because they're all in like tiny shorts and blazers and little caps extremely cute and he really enjoyed that because they were you know for a uh, extremely you know academically minded school their reception class, which he was in at the time, was really play-minded and really play-focused. And they didn't mind that his writing wasn't 
that great and they didn't mind that his um, coordination wasn't that great and they worked with him on it. Uh, and so that was that was great. And we really enjoyed it. But I was aware that the progression further up the school wasn't something I was necessarily all that into. It seemed quite, you know, fairly academically rigorous. And that's fine. If he was an academic kid, then I would ha- happily carry on with that. But I realised that wasn't really the sort of child that he was quite early on. And uh, and by that time, his little brother had arrived. We moved again and had a different school that we did really like. But I was just beginning to question a lot of the stuff that was coming up with the school system. And then we were in a situation where they ended up in two, because we moved during a school year and because both of their years are so massively oversubscribed for school places, the council couldn't place both of them in the same school. So we ended up in a situation where Toby, the oldest one, was in a school uh, two and a half miles away from his brother. (laughs) And his brother was in reception, Casper was in reception, in an outstanding school, according to Ofsted. Uh, so they were very keen to keep their outstanding rating. Um, and uh, by the January of that school year, he was the, the four year old was getting half an hour homework a night to meet the requirements for them to get that outstanding grade. And I just thought, you know, you're four. You should be playing, not really going down this. And it was a real contrast from the reception experience that, that Toby had had at his previous school. Meanwhile, Toby in the other school was in a school that was in. Uh, what Ofsted terms special measures. I've heard they, of that, yeah. Yeah, they, they feel that it's a failing school. And I think, I, I see why parents want to know this kind of stuff and I think it's an interesting idea, but I can't see that it's doing schools any favours having been in that experience because then they were in the position where Toby was bright compared to the rest of his class because they were taken from a slightly different catchment. Um, and that could have been a bonus, you know, to have a kid in there. But what they actually did is they tried to have Toby babysit the kids that weren't doing so well so he could chivy them along. I find that the whole measurement of things, I mean, I know that things have to be measured to a certain extent, but I find the whole kind of ratings thing, the whole league table thing yeah. um, for schools quite distasteful. And I was actually a school governor mm-hmm. at Alex's junior school. He probably won't like me to remind him. But uh, <laughs> we were very lucky in certain respects in that the, the primary school that Alex went to was in the next village and it's like, you know, a five minute drive away. Yeah. And being a small village school, there's a smaller pool of kids. Yeah. And in fact, I don't know what had happened in Wales sort of six or seven years previous, but there weren't a lot of kids. Oh. And he actually joined a year not just a class, but a year that had six children in it, mm-hmm. which was quite staggering. And you think to yourself, well, they're going to get a lot more individual attention, um, which which on one respect was very good. On another respect, it puts quite a lot of focus onto them. And I yeah. have to say that they didn't get Alex. You know, he is unconventional and he's always been unconventional yeah. um, and didn't fit their mould as to what a junior school child should do um, and be able to do. And then the other thing, which was there was there was a, a lad um, in his year that was special needs, mm-hmm. you know, had um, I don't know what the right term is now, but he, need, he needed extra help mm-hmm. um, in numeracy and literacy and all those other things. And I do remember conversations on the governing board about um, the inspections for that year, where just because of this one child out of a group of what might have been six or seven, and how much that was going to affect their overall percentage. And I understand that concern, but 
equally, that's that's a, a misunderstanding of how Ofsted generally applies those rules. As I understand them, they, they do take into account, you know, children that have special needs or have a, a statement or, or that kind of thing. But that, I mean, that's the fear that runs through a lot of schools is, you know, are they are they going is that school in whatever circumstance it's in going to be appreciated for the position that it has within the community, for the intake that it has, for the, you know, for the requirements for children that have English as a second language and all these kinds of things. I have the utmost respect for teachers. They do an amazing job. Uh, And what I felt with the schools that both of my children were in is the teachers were not able to do the job they wanted to do. And Casper's reception teacher was leaving that year after 24 years as a, as a teacher because she, the job had changed so much in the time that she'd been there. And she was going from having almost 100% contact hours with her children down to 20 contact hours. And the rest was meant to be doing sort of curriculum support and that kind of stuff. So it was at that point that we kind of went, like, enough is enough. Whatever is going on here is is not for us. I'm not into the idea of them going through lots of tests and getting half an hour homework a night. There has to be a better way than this. Um, and around the same time as I was kind of going through these things in my head, um, uh, Dan Cat, who you might know, uh, and his wife were thinking about alternatives for their children as well, um, especially their their eldest daughter, who is, um, I believe, about, about 12 now, was just in her first year of secondary school and not really... You know, she herself was quite frustrated because being quite a tech savvy kid, she knew that a lot of the stuff that she wanted to know was already on the Internet. It was there and she could probably access it a lot more efficiently and focus it around her her own interests. And she was kind of motivated to do that. So they introduced me to a thing called unschooling. So again, it's quite an American term. We would call it more like self-directed or child led learning in the UK or autonomous learning is another expression for it. And that's basically... Um, the idea that uh, if you take the concept of school and how it's existed over the last, say, 100 years and what it's meant to do, previous to that, um, children learned the skills that they needed from home. Now, 100 years ago, the skills you needed were usually to be a farm labourer or, you know, to learn how to run a, um, a spinning wheel or something like that. Uh, and then the Industrial Revolution came along and we needed more and more factory workers. So we needed slightly more you know, educated levels or whatever. But now we have the Internet and we have access to stuff in our own communities and we have libraries and that kind of thing. Actually, again, all the skills that children need are available to them in the community. It's just that we separate off life and school. You go to school to do these academic things in boxes and then life is what happens outside of that. And what I remembered really enjoying about my own primary school education, which is the thing that I remember best, is that our work was much more project based. Um, and all right, the project itself was set by what the teacher was doing, whether it was the Aztecs or the Romans or volcanoes or whatever. But in the case of my children, we do a very similar concept to that. They tell me what it is that they're interested in. And then we try and find things to help them learn more about that. And um, especially with the eight year old, let's say with the five year old, with the eight year old, we try and help him find his own answers as opposed to trying, you know, I never sit down and really teach a lesson with him. We don't have worksheets in which I say, right, now we're going to do times table or we're going to learn how to tell the time. For telling the time, what we did is we got a series of clocks and they're actually used in classrooms that, um, you know, the numbers are very clear on them and it tells you how many minutes passed and how many minutes to. And the, so the clock's divided in two so you can see which way you, you're going to use to describe the time. 
And we motivated them to learn how to tell the time by telling them what time snack time was, or what time they could play video games. And they had to tell us whether it was time to do it. So they got telling the time very quickly. Let's come on to some of the kind of day-to-day methods and practicalities Yeah. in a minute. Practically, and I've, uh, I've discovered there's a website called gov.uk, which you might have heard of. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some Googling about this. Yeah, I had a little uh, peer around that. And I was actually surprised at how easy it is to take your child out of the education system. So there is, um, there is a uh, section, I believe it's section six of the Education Act, the, the last t- Education Act, of, I think 2006. Um, and basically it states in law in the UK, all parents are responsible for their children's education. They may wish to defer that to a school, which is why schools say they, they act in loco parentis, in place of parents. Um, and that's also why it's legal to take your child out of school to home educate them. But if you just let them bunk off school, you will be, you know, potentially you could go to prison if you let it happen. Mostly it's fines. And that comes down to the fact that you have deferred that education to the school and the school have asked you to have your child there between certain hours so they can fulfill their obligation. Um, but actually, the and the law states that a child over the age of uh basically a term past their, fi- their fifth birthday, must be given an education uh, that is in line with their own uh, abilities and, and age. So, you know, I don't have to teach the same thing to both of my boys. They can be interested in whatever it is. I just have to make sure that, that they have materials available to them um, so that they can seek out those answers if they want. And so that's what we try and set out. So we don't use a particular specific curriculum. We may do in the future um, when they get a bit older and if they take an interest in a particular academic subject, then you know there are lots of curriculums out there that can help you do that. But right now we're much more focused on you know, what do you want to do today. So they are eight and five. Yeah. How long do you intend to teach them? Is it just through primary or do you expect to teach them all the way through what will be secondary school? Uh, we have an open mind on it. We, What we're looking for is a school that within the restrictions that a school has, because you know, a school has to impart a body of knowledge to a range of children. It can't be individual focused like we do at home. But if we found a school that we felt would be a good fit for them, I would have no problem moving them into it some people are much more dogmatic about it but uh, and we've looked at a couple of the primary schools in our area um and we looked at steiner school when we first moved here and we didn't really feel that any of those were a great match for us so i'm not dogmatic to the point that i they will stay at home till you know they're 21 or whatever and and we asked them from time to time you how would you feel about going to school should we look at a school and most of the time they tell us no occasionally they say they're interested in going finding out more I mean, one one of the other things that we do is that we belong to quite a few um, music classes and art classes and that kind of thing. So they're not sort of locked up in the house, never seeing other children, which is quite important. And we're always looking for ways to kind of expand that for them as well. No, that's brilliant. This is a silly question regarding costs. Are there tax rebates available because you're not using the school system? No. 
And neither should there be, really. I mean, it's at this point, it's we're bucking the system. And I fully believe that if I want to live in a civilised society, I, I'm in an incredibly privileged position to be able to do this. It's because my husband earns a good wage and I can earn money from doing my own consulting that's not nine to five. Um, and most people aren't in, in that situation. The only way the education system is going to get better is with better investment. In terms of money stuff, uh, we actually lose child benefit. <laughs> so uh, we have less tax rebates, if you like. That's a bit strange. Why do you lose child benefit? Um, because child benefit is for children that are in ed- full-time education. I think it's after 14 we lose child benefit. Not uh, Actually, we don't qualify for child benefit under the new rules anyway. But um, after 14, uh, even if you would get it, if you have a child that's um, home educated, I believe at this point you don't get um, child benefit. Now, these are all the kind of the silly practical questions that, that spring yeah, to my that spring to my mind. Because I was thinking, you know, at some point in the future, when they take exams, a regular mm-hmm. school presumably pays the exam board for, yeah. you know, the entry Unless to those exams. Unless you're in a private school and then you pay the exam board. But you can enter as a private candidate. Exactly. It's about 90, £120 an exam. So. so, you know, that's something else. No, no, it's, it's interesting. Let's talk about some of these practical, more practical things in a minute. Can I just mention one thing about tax rebates? Yes. One of my biggest bugbears in life. So I mentioned about childcare. So occasionally when I do go away for work, we'll get um, a nanny for a few days and I'll leave some, you know, sort of tips and and instructions and bits and pieces. And she tends to take them out on day trips. They go to the zoo and that kind of thing. Did you know that uh, a chauffeur driver is a uh, tax claimable expense and childcare is not? I was going to ask you about that, actually, because I'm sure that there are all kinds of things which are legitimate business expenses, and you would think that childcare would be. You would think so. And trust me, if it was, a lot more women in this country would be able to go and work for themselves. That's staggering. Has it never been included? No, I don't believe so. I mean, someone should write in and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe in the UK it's ever been a thing. And childcare costs are just spiralling. People never write in to correct us on those sort of things. They only write That's in good. to no, I'll just say whatever I like them. complain about me talking about apes and weeing in kettles. I might complain about <laughs> Don't talk about weeing in kettles. Continue. <laughs> Next question. Let me do our second sponsor, if I okay. may, because it's another fantastic product from Vanamco, and they're the people that brought us Ghost Lab. Oh, yeah, this time, though, it's guys. not... It's not a software product. No, no, no. It's hardware. And it's a responsive development stand. They call it Device Lab. Now, I'm sure you know that one of the problems with design and device testing of responsive designs is that you've got all these devices, multiple smartphones and tablets, and they're all scattered across your desk. And, I mean, admittedly, these are first-world problems, but you've got to pick them up and you've got to put them down to check how your design's looking across all these screens. It can't be that hard, can it? And they all need to stay powered up too, so you've got cables everywhere. And, you know, I'm such a neat freak, I really hate that. And then if you work in a team and you share devices with others, you need to take your test rig maybe to a client site for a demonstration. Things get really messy. And that's where the device lab comes in, because it's a stand that's small enough to sit on your desk and it can hold an average of four to seven devices, phones and tablets, depending on their size. And you attach the devices with the Velcro hook and loop and they stay securely in place on the stand. And that's important because the stand can be used in either portrait or landscape orientation, just like a phone or a tablet. So what you do, you test your devices in one orientation and then you swing the whole case around, the whole stand around, and test it in the other. It's genius. I think I need one of those for my desk and I don't even do responsive design stuff. Cable management is built in and that takes care of all the spaghetti too. And it looks great. 
right next to your computer. So, you know, you're not going to want to keep it tucked away. I've got a device lab sat on my desk at the office right now, and it's got an iPad mini and a couple of test phones attached to it, and it's fabulous. The price is 149 plus shipping of those American dollars, or for $20 more, you can buy one that includes a license for Ghost Lab, and that's a nice touch, because Ghost Lab's normally $49 on its own. Plus, they sell what they call an agency package that's three device stands, five Ghost Lab licenses, and you get free express shipping. Now, that's 499 of those American dollars. So go to unfinished.bz slash device lab and go get yourself a device lab. Whoa. I'm putting that on my Christmas list. No, they are actually really, really nice. Like I say, I've got one in the office, which is, uh, mm. which is looking really cool. So if there is one, what does a typical school day look like for you? As you can probably imagine, it varies from day to day, depending on whether we're going out. But on a day that we haven't got sort of a big trip to the Natural History Museum to go and draw the dinosaurs planned or anything. Um, one of my children gets up quite early. So he tends to get up and um, he will either, uh, he might play on um, the Wii or his 3DS or the iPad for a bit, or he might watch some videos. Um, and then the younger one gets up a bit later and tends to join him. And then I kind of you know, work my way downstairs, turning off all the lights, making the beds and all the kind of things that mummies need to do, collecting, collecting for the washing. So I'll, they usually have an hour or two in the morning where I'm just kind of doing chores and I'm, you know, leaving them to their own thing. After that, we'll have a chat about what we want to do that day and what the weather's like. So during the summer, we would um, sometimes go to the park or we take a walk through our village. We live quite near um, Greenwich Park, so we could walk straight through the park down to Greenwich and go and see the ships. Um, so we do that quite a lot. And there's a big playground there, so they often go on the playground on our way past. Uh, and then we might go out for somewhere for lunch. Or we might take a picnic with us. Um, and then, say, in the afternoon, we'd come back. Um, and then we might do... Uh, we, we get... Um, a, a really great arts and craft pack called a toucan box um, and they send sort of four little um, making things to us a month um, that we subscribe to and they're on a different theme so at the moment we're doing a space theme and last month was Halloween I'm gonna guess December is gonna be Christmas themed um, and so we might make one of those or um, uh, Toby often makes stuff in Minecraft so um, if we've been talking about a thing during the day, he'll often go upstairs and make kind of a, uh, go and recreate it in Minecraft. Um, and they've got another game at the moment they like called Pull Blocks. And sometimes they make stuff in that as well and turn it into puzzles. Um, and then uh, one or the other usually helps me make dinner. Um, and sometimes we have to go out, go get the stuff for dinner or we go to the farmer's market, that kind of thing. Usually it's Sainsbury's. Um, so, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, they'll help me make dinner. And then in the evening, uh, you know, when daddy comes back, uh, we sometimes play some games together, either, uh, video games or we play board games. And then at bedtime, um, they go to bed separately at different times. So we have some individual time with both of them to read and talk about different things. And, uh, the older one's really into us reading chapter books with him and comics. And the younger one is, uh, really into sort of, um, fact based flap books about different topics so he'll often have one story and then we'll read a couple of pages from a, a book about you know how we go to space and that kind of thing so that's kind of like a uh we haven't got anything planned kind of day interesting some of the things that you're talking about there because i'm just you know i'm just relating everything back to alex 
because mm-hmm. you know that's the experience that I've got. I think that he learned as much. And we just, you know, talk about taking children out of school. I think we did it a couple of times. Um, he learned as much when we did big road trips around the US, you know, when we go see the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. as he would have done, you know, looking at it in a book. In fact, yeah. probably more so. Um, it probably inspired him to, to do more. And that whole kind of, I don't know, almost practical approach to education, you know, just learning through doing and seeing and being interested in things. Um, and he learned to count by counting potatoes as you're making dinner. Yeah. You know, just, it wasn't like we're going to sit down and do maths. It was every time we chop carrots, we'll count the slices. And he became, you know, familiar with numbers just through doing something simple like that. And Casper learnt to read by, um, he could read reasonably proficiently for his age. Um, he'd already done a lot of phonic stuff and could kind of put together simple words. But he learnt to read fluently and understand complex ideas by reading the books that were around the house that weren't really meant for him. So he would read recipe books to, you know, I'd have them pick out what cake they wanted to make for, you know, to have for pudding. And they'll read the stuff from that or um, video games. Video games feature quite heavily in our life. Um, and it's I think it's a great way for them to learn. You know, we and um, on the whole, we don't. There's not too many times that we say, OK, OK, we've got to stop. Like If we've got something planned, you know, it's like, OK, you have to put the controllers down. And we have to leave the house um, and we try and get out at least once each day. But, uh, you know, a lot of the time it was them reading video game manuals or how to, you know, do something because it's it's whatever motivates them to keep trying. Casper uh, was not interested in all the primer sort of shiny alphabet books at all, just didn't even look at them. But as soon as his older brother was able to read bigger chapter books, he wanted in on that. So he just cut out picture book stuff altogether he likes us reading him picture books and likes to join in but he won't read them himself he will pick up like i said sort of the heavy fact-based osborne guide to space books and read those <laughs> yeah i mean it was really funny doing a bit of clearing up around alex's room because uh sorry mate but i'm just going to tell thousands of people about this but you know <laughs> his room is pretty much as it was you know when he left and there mm-hmm. is you know there's a whole stack of books and things on the bookcase and it was quite funny going through some of those things and seeing like from a really really early age the encyclopedias with rocks yeah. and fossils yeah. and the dinosaur stuff. I mean, he was going to become a scientist at some point. It was kind of inevitable. I, I, I genuinely believe a lot of that stuff is right there in the things that we're interested in. And the stuff that we're interested in gets squashed out of us um, through a number of things. And I think school can sometimes be a contributing factor to that. And I think also, you know, the realities of life can really squash that out of you because, you know, you get to a certain age and you, you've got to make rent, you've got to do stuff, you've got to, you know, Having your own interest is not always at the forefront, but when you're a child, if you have the opportunity to explore that stuff, then that can really become the thing that you love. I mean, Toby in particular is really into video games, but he doesn't just play them. He thinks about them all the time. He designs his own levels in his head. He draws characters constantly. Um, He's learned how to do a bit of modding in Minecraft, which meant I left, you know, my full time role as a content strategist, where if I was really unlucky, I might have to do some code. Uh, and thought, thank God, I'm never having to do anything geeky again. And then found myself debugging Java. <laughs> like, what life choices brought me to this point? That's hysterical. Yeah, it was brilliant. So, yeah, trying to teach an eight-year-old Java is, you know, tricky. 
But again, they're super motivated to get through the hard stuff because they know the stuff at the other end is the thing that they want to get to. So they, they keep at it. I think the other thing which influenced Alex very much was that we never really treated him like a child. He just, he kind of came along for the ride. So mm-hmm. he would go into some very grown up situations, you know, yeah. he'd go and eat in grown up restaurants. Um, yeah. you know, he, we, we would never, you know, treat him any differently. Um, and he would come home because, you know, our studio was at home. He would come in after school. There might be clients there and he became quite confident in those things and he yeah. became interested in those things. And he still is interested in a lot of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff too. And I think that just that environment for learning naturally rather than it being we're going to do physics today yes that's it i mean we do we do lots of science experiments and so but i yeah and we've we've bought we've bought kind of kits that are like home science experiment stuff but we never sort of say right we're going to have a science lesson today it's just like would you like to have a go at dying an egg and see what happens or would you like to see you know the classic one would you like to see what happens when you put some mentos and diet coke well i was that's hysterically sticky children <laughs> i was going to ask actually because what do you do? What will you do if you need access to special equipment? I'm, th- I'm thinking in the future. Um, yeah. I know Alex, for example, we, we had to get him some, uh, private physics tuition because that wasn't an A level that he took because they wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had to learn the theory stuff outside of school in evening classes. But yeah. for some of the practical things, he had to go back into school and use the labs. Yeah. So how does that work? So, um, I mean, it definitely varies from from place to place, but London and cities in the UK in general have um, a pretty good home education ring. Uh, and home education is as varied as, you know, as people who go to school, really. There are some parents that have a curriculum, like to stick to the curriculum and, and they like to do school at home and that works for them. Um, and then there are people you know, more like me that are a bit more kind of relaxed about how that's going to go and don't really sort of timetable things. But what there are is there are lots of groups and co-ops um, that kind of get together around similar stuff. So if you have a group of a few children who want to do um, sort of GCSE physics together, then you might sort of put the word out on the grapevine and say, OK, so I've got two kids who would like to do this. Would anyone else like to join me? And then we can find a private tutor and, you know, who has access to a space that we can do it in and maybe we might be able to hire a school, you know, after, after hours, that kind of stuff. So there's usually ways to do that. Um, uh, and again, there's, there's actually quite a few, um, and I find this a slightly worrying trend, but it, you know, it's okay for me because I can take, uh, use it as an opportunity, but there's quite a few, I think what we would traditionally call cram schools um, springing up like after school, extra science clubs and things like that that's extra tuition um and quite a lot of those do private lessons for groups as well um so it's generally not too difficult to find the stuff that you want to do but i mean at the age that we're at now it's really not an issue because there's very few science experiments i would ever want to do with them with anything i couldn't find in my own kitchen um and actually i think sometimes the kitchen experiment stuff is the most fun because it's like, here's this thing that we usually use to make a cake. And look, you know, this is how it makes a cake. This is what, you know, baking powder does. Watch it. So one of our favourite ones is to put um, a bicarbonate of soda um, into a tray and add blobs of uh, food colouring into it. And it fizzes and makes kind of fizzy paint you can swirl around on paper and do interesting things with. And the kids request that one quite a lot. 
Um, and that's not the sort of thing that we really did at school because we'd be busy looking at litmus paper and stuff. So um, I haven't really run into anything like that yet. But that's you know, the options are always there. There's always if you have the money and this is, again, the thing, if you have the money and or tenacity to, to track it down, there's always private tutoring available. So. Just ask about you then for a minute. I'm exhausted. How are you? As in, <laughs> I know, I'm a bit tired, but, you know, I mustn't complain. Do you have to be a sort, a certain sort of person to teach at home? I mean, I'm not just talking about being able to afford it, but do you have to um, be, do you have to be more patient than a regular parent? I think you learn patience through necessity. I wouldn't say I was a particularly patient parent, but you quickly learn that having arguments all day, every day is the shortcut to madness. Obviously, there are days at which I'm like, I am never doing this again. Like, seriously, kids, I have I have this local school on speed dial. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think you need to be. I mean, a lot of people end up uh, home educating out of necessity because their child was bullied, because they weren't getting on with the school system, because they couldn't get them into a school that they liked. And they start, a lot of people start out of desperation almost. And as they find their way, they find that actually this is something that they, they want to continue doing. There is some talk about how does a child who's been home educated for a while you move back into the mainstream system. Um, and that's, I guess, something that we may have to think about in the future. But at, for the time being, um, you know, that's not something that we're, we're too worried about. And the more parents I meet who do home ed- education, um, the more, you know, I find that they're, you know, they're generally happy with the choices that they've made and the progress that their children are making. And it gives them the chance to focus on something that they're interested in without cutting off their options to other stuff. Uh, say you got interested in photography one day. Yep. Uh, so my my eight-year-old is quite interested in um, filming things um, in particular because that's the part of the stuff his daddy does. Um, and uh, he likes filming, he likes photography and, um, he will quite happily watch sort of YouTube tutorials on how to add special effects to things, to photos and and bits and pieces of that. And he'll watch them and he'll copy them. And imagine if you could do that for sort of eight hours a day for three days, because that was what you were really into at that point. Well, that's how I learned to do the stuff that I'm doing every day for a living now. Yeah, and that's what I generally ask people is how did you get to, especially people that work in our industry, how did you get to do what you're doing now? Because you probably weren't doing it at school. Good Lord, Some no. of the fundamentals and basics would have been there. You would have learned maths and you would have learned some communication skills. But a lot of it is learned just by repeating, making mistakes and getting better from that point. Well, I mean, that's how I learned CSS back in the mm-hmm. early days was just to try something, open it in a browser and try and figure out what was going on, you know, figure out why things weren't working. Yeah, literally and that is my trial and error. approach to everything whether it's slicing open an app and apple without cutting open your thumb mummy may have intervened slightly on that one before the knife hit the uh the, the skin uh right through to how am i going to teach myself this this game tutorial to how am i going to work out if it's snack time they make mistakes and repeat them and so what we've done as far as possible. And we are by no means perfect parents because whenever I have this discussion, people are like, oh, you must be so patient and so godly. I'm really not. Like, <laughs> I do regularly just lose it with my children because, you know, I am human and we're together a lot and they know how to press my buttons like no one else on earth. Um, 
but we've given them the space to make mistakes and you know we don't we don't go out of our way to correct their spelling unless they ask us and and they'll sometimes look at a word that they've written especially eight-year-old and go is that right and then you say well no actually you, you want the r and the e the other way around but because it sounds like this i understood what you were saying because the more um actually the best way to learn kind of spelling in english once you've got past the basic stuff is actually to see it in context in books and being corrected at a point doesn't necessarily help you that much this is my experience um, so we try and just let them get on and make mistakes and then come to us if they need help. If there's a skill that you need and it's one that I'm still learning every day, it's how to let go of your own preconceptions of what they should be doing. That's the hardest bit. Because I was going to ask, how do you cope when you're kind of when your own experience or your own knowledge runs out? Well, we Google stuff a lot. I imagine. And it really is like that. I mean, how as a grown up do you deal with the fact that you don't know something? What do you do first? Well, you ask for help or you go and go to the library or go to Google or yeah. figure stuff out for yourself in general. And that's exactly what we do. So usually our children's first port of call is to come to us and say, I don't know how to do this. And then we talk through the problem with them. And often by talking through the problem, it gives them an idea either of how to fix the thing they were struggling with or how to take it off in a different direction, um, you know, to get round. The so they can route around it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so especially with the eight year old who's problem solving, you know, is getting more complex these days. He's able to deal with, you know, different situations. Uh, and we're also the other thing that it does is... Um, in helping them find the answers, we're teaching them how to teach themselves. So, you know, as the years go on, theoretically, they will need less of our assistance and less of our full on attention because they'll be focused on their own thing. We are seeing is the, is the eight-year-old who said he's not very good at playing by himself. He is getting better at it. Um, he's getting better at being able to concentrate on a task that he's interested in in his own time without needing either constant reassurance or constant attention that he's doing the right thing. And the five-year-old, as the second banana, um, is quite happy to play on his own anyway. Well, um, you know, I'll regularly go upstairs to go make his bed and find that he's in there. And he's so um he's quite obsessed with dinosaurs, as most five-year-olds are. And we we live um a train ride away from the Natural History Museum, so we spend quite a lot of time there visiting the dinosaurs. Um uh, we know them all by name now. Um, and by name, I don't just mean scientific name. I mean, like, by first name. He has named all the dinosaurs. Uh, and so I went into his room the other day and he had, he, he'd taken from the kitchen four foil, um, like, casserole trays that you might freeze food in. Yeah. Like had at the bottom of the cupboard. And this is the other thing with homeschooling is you have to get used to all your stuff just walking around the house. Um, they've given up asking me anything ever. They just generally move things. Um and I went into his room and he had four of these trays out and he'd got all his plastic toy dinosaurs out and he'd arranged them in the four trays and cut doors between them to make his own natural history museum. And he was just working out how to make the stairwell that you use to walk over all the dinosaurs. Meanwhile, and, of course, he's actually identified each one and remembered their names or shapes and whatever. Absolutely. So he's got them all as much as possible in the right place. He knows the big T-Rex is at the back. He knows the skeletons are at the front and he knows there are different displays with boards. And he got all his Playmobil people out and was standing them in the places. You know, he was, you know, and that was, that was him. That he did that off his own back. I think that what we need to do is we need to arrange a trip to the Natural History Museum for grown-ups, to be honest, because I don't think I've been there 
Well, since yeah. Alex was about that age. Well, not for such a very long time. See, I've, I have a theory, and maybe you might be able to help me make this happen, um, that, that I, I love conferences, as I know you do too, but I have a feeling that we don't do enough socialising outside of conferences as an industry. Like, we get to conferences and get together. And also, as a cunning a running alongside that thread, you can hire the Natural History Museum for a night. I was thinking that we should really have some sort of dinner thing at the Natural History Museum or the Science Museum or something of that type where they take you on a bit of a tour around and show you some stuff and then everyone can sit down and chat for a bit without having to have any conference stuff going on. Do you think people would be interested in that? No, I think people would be absolutely biting our hands off to do something like that um we've been talking about this a little bit on the show recently i had mm -hmm. uh, benjamin holloway on from brighton who's a 16 year old developer yes. and one of the things that we were talking about was activities you know around conferences that weren't basically sitting in a in a pub drinking beer yeah. um and we were talking about some of the other things that people do uh laura calbag does her photo does her dog walking yeah. um in brighton uh ashley baxter who comes on the show sometimes she actually announced today uh that she's arranging another glasgow photo walk and there's only Ooh, like you should go i went to one of those i know and remember this and there's just 12 places 12 people can go and it's glasgowphotowalk.co.uk i'll put a link in the notes and mm -hmm. That's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, if I was a little bit closer, I probably would do. I've got no excuses. You went from Brighton, but. I did have points to use. I did, so. <laughs> but I think that we've been talking about potentially organizing some kind of, you know, photo weekend in North Wales, perhaps on Anglesey. Mm -hmm. I know that there are people around Manchester who are thinking about doing, uh, you know, walks around Manchester or even trips to the Lake District because, you know, it's only up the road. Yeah. But I would absolutely love to do something um, at the Natural History or maybe the V&A um, or even yeah. Tate Modern, to be honest. Tate Modern is a great space. But I just want to take you to see the dinosaurs, you see. Yeah, I see the dinosaurs <laughs> would win every single time. Um, but I remember this is going back 10 years or so when there weren't that many of us doing kind of web stuff. And we used to organise sort of, you know, geek days out or geek weekends. And we would meet up. I remember that uh, Jeremy Keith and Andy Budd and Richard Rutter and I and a whole bunch of other people. Pants thing. Oh, there was pants involved at some point. Yes. All right. Yes. Yes, of course. There's always pants involved. Um, <laughs> but we got together. There wasn't just blokes. There was, I think Jessica was there as well. And we had a lovely, you know, weekend and, and day around Tate Modern. And yeah. I think we should do it. I think we should organize something like that because it just does your soul so much good. And I'm convinced that you're going to go back to work on a Monday morning feeling much, much more refreshed than if you'd watched WWF wrestling on the telly. Yeah, it's been a while since I've watched WWF, so I'm going to go with yes on that one. I'm a big fan. Are you? Not really, no. No. We should wrap this up. You don't want to talk about wrestling for the next 20 minutes. No, I talked about wrestling on the show. show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, where I convinced poor Liz Elko that Giant Haystacks was actually my uncle. She is so gullible. To be fair, you're a very convincing liar. <laughs> People have said such things. <laughs> no, 
I normally just joke that we get letters about people complaining, but I actually think people are going to, people are going to send at least tweets wanted to talk about this because this is a fascinating subject and I'm sure we could actually talk for like two or three hours. But people won't listen, so let's not do that. But we won't. So we do need to wrap it up. But thank you. I will just say though, before we do that, like I am happy to answer tweets and so on. Um, uh, but I'm a, not an expert on home education. This is just my experience. And also, uh, and I have had this occasionally, uh, if you say nasty things about me because of this, I will just drop a big ban hammer on you heavily. So don't do that. Why would anybody do that? I don't understand. Oh, because it's the internet and people have opinions. Well, don't have bad opinions. You can have bad opinions, just don't tell me about them. Oh, yeah, that's very true. If people want to ask us things hmm. or, yeah, in general discuss this topic then uh yeah let's carry on we'll, we'll come back to it another day yeah absolutely if you'll agree to come back on oh for you anything Anne. oh you see right so people can follow you really on twitter you are really ab yes you are or there's me at malarkey and to ask questions and suggest topics you can message this show on twitter at unfinished bz or you can email me he has at unfinished dot bz Thanks again to our sponsors this week. They were Perch and Device Lab. They make the show possible. So you can support our show, please, by supporting them. Shut up with your sewing.